we're going to work our way through this psalm and, and see this pattern that God sets out for us in the Christian life. So hopefully during the reading, you're able to see how the, the psalmist moves from lament at some tragedy in, in verses 1 to 6. Then there's this reflection or meditation in verses 7 to 9. And finally, his thoughts turn to rejoicing from verses 10 to 20 as he takes hope in, in who God is and what he has done in the past. And so really simply this morning, we're going to look at that pattern of, of lamenting, re reflecting, and, and rejoicing. You might know, I, I couldn't quite get three hours in this morning, but we'll, we'll make do with it there. Really, we're thinking about remembering the Lord in all our situations. Before we get into the specifics, though, I just want to point out that even if this pattern seems obvious, it, it, it's not typically what we go through, because this formula isn't at all what the world teaches us. What we're usually told is something like complain, make a plan, and fix things. Or maybe more likely cry, complain to someone else, and, and let them fix things. But what we don't get, and what we can all learn to, to grow in here today, is a sense of and a capacity, to, a capacity to rejoice while still in that bad situation. It's really easy to take the mentality of the world and, and apply it to God. So we can, we can pray for a solution, as we should do, but we can let our joy come from the solution and not from being with God. You see, we, we allow our emotional reaction to, to, that we get from seeing a situation transformed to be our guide for how we think about God, about how good we think God is. And what that shows us is that the thing that we want most, it's not actually God himself, but it's a better life here. Now, we are emotional creatures, and that's how God made us, but we don't want to base our relationship with God on how specific situations make us feel. When Paul says that we walk by faith and not by sight, what we should hear is that we don't judge God based upon our perceptions of answered prayers, but we live out of love for Him. So instead of our prayers being about fixing a problem, about changing the world around us, we need to grasp that the majority of the time, prayer is actually about us being fixed, about changing the hearts inside of us. And so what we're talking about today is not a pattern for, for fixing our circumstances, because we, we can only assume here that the psalmist is still in that place where he needed to cry out to the Lord for help. But rather today, we are thinking about a pattern of life that brings us joy in the Lord regardless of what is going on around us. So keep in mind as we get into the text here that, that we are asking the Lord to do some, some deep work in us. This is the kind of verse that tells us that, that the fruit that we should be looking for in our lives is not external, but it comes about in our inner lives. Now, this really excites me because I know this is something that, that I want to grow in. I want to rejoice in the Lord even when it seems really dark around me. And, and I hope that excites you too. So let's dive in. Verse 1. I cried out to God for help. 
I cried out to God to hear me. So right away, we can see the lament here. Something has happened that's left the psalmist in distress, and he cries out to the Lord. And we know it's not some trivial thing. He's not left the Christmas shopping far too late and crying out for somewhere to park his donkey. Rather, this is something that's keeping him awake at night. See verse 2 there, he's stretching out his hands all night. So picture him there, reaching out in prayer, trying to grasp at the Lord. And yet he remains in this place of distress. Now, we've said this so many times before, but the lie is so tempting that we need to be continually reminded of the truth. The Christian life is not an easy life. God is not building for us here a spa retreat. He does not promise to give us all the good that the world offers. Fruitfulness is measured in faith and not in our finances. Some of us will know this all too well, whether through personal suffering, through sickness, or by grief, or by marital breakdown, or or threats from others, or our dreams just never seeming to to work out as we wanted them to. We know that the Christian life is marked by losses and crosses. Some of us might be too young to really understand it yet, but here from our oldest and brothers and sisters, it will come. It seems to be that God uses adversity and suffering to to grow us, to, to mold us in such a way that we grow in dependence on him. He gives us things that we cannot bear so that we have to fall on our knees before him. Now, he doesn't give us anything that tempts us beyond we can bear. He doesn't lead us into sin. That's what Paul says in in 1 Corinthians. But but there's a difference between temptation and suffering. Because although we, we really don't like it, suffering does make us cry out to God. It makes us aware of what we need to do to draw close to him. Samuel Rutherford said this, grace withers without adversity. The devil is but God's master fencer to teach us to handle our weapons. So Christian, how are your weapons? Are you sharpening the sword of the spirit in preparation for that day when you need to wield it against the lies of some situation that you're in? Have you trained in the right defenses and ways to fight against the times of trial? That's what we see with Jesus in the desert when when Satan was tempting him. His enemy attacked him with human desires. He He defended with a trust in the Lord and then defeated him with a thrust of the Scripture. And for us, the Lord uses these difficult situations so that we have the opportunity to see that His grace is sufficient and so deepen in our trust of him. It's not a way that any of us want to learn, but it seems to be how God has chosen to teach us. And so we can trust that that in the end, that is going to be the best thing for us. There are situations that come up in life to to discipline us, and, and they teach us to be faithful to Christ. Other situations are just consequences of our own sin and a fallen world. And they teach us our our need for Christ. But we have to be aware as well, there are situations that God brings about specifically to teach us dependence 
on Christ. We are beyond our capacity and simply have to be held fast by him. So when that time comes, we we shouldn't be surprised at suffering. We shouldn't resent the the suffering. And instead, as, as difficult as it is, we should just simply fall upon the Lord and rest on his support. Lamenting our our circumstances is a real aspect of the Christian life, but notice there, it's not the only thing that we're going to lament in our time. Look look at verse 3. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. So so he remembers God here, but but for now, that actually causes him to, to groan, to moan, to be troubled. When we're reading our Bibles and we come to something like this, we should always be asking, this seems strange, why? What is happening here? Well, the next few verses tell us. He's thinking about God, but he seems to be discouraged. He grows faint and he's troubled because, and we'll see this if we read verses 5 and 6, he remembers a time when he rejoiced in the Lord. This time long ago when he was on fire for God, when he sang worship in the night. And he seems to sort of mourn that loss. Robert Robertson wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It's, it's him I love, and I know a lot of people have loved over the years. Now, it doesn't seem that Robinson actually wandered, like some say, but there's a story where he's taking a carriage ride, and, and a woman in the carriage starts singing this hymn, and then, and then asks him if he knows it. And Robinson looks at her and says... Madam, I am the unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to feel now as I felt then. So often we like to think of the journey of faith as just one long upward progression, that we grow closer and closer to God, deeper and deeper into the faith. And yet it seems that that even a great hymn writer or a psalmist has times when they lament not feeling as close to God as they once did. There's a a spiritual suffering that we go through, times of feeling emotionally far from God. Now, he hasn't moved, but we just feel like it. And it's painful. There's the dark night of the soul where we feel utterly cut off from the Lord, but we aren't but it feels like doubt is overtaking us. And just like before, there are times that teach us to depend upon God, to long for him as the deer pants for the water, for our faith and dependence to grow in a way that it couldn't when just everything seems good. Again, Rutherford said, I see grace grow best in winter. Maybe you feel like you're in a spiritual winter right now. But whether it's spiritual or circumstantial, we we really have to come to terms with the fact that that suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. What what you're feeling now is normal. You're probably all aware of this. We have this problem in Hamilton Road where we all walk in and put on the nice, shiny Hamilton Road mask because... We all assume that that everyone else has their life together and and we don't want our mess to be the thing that stands out. Hundreds of people 
thinking that they are the odd ones, the broken ones, all surrounded by people thinking the same thing. Family, the church is a hospital for sinners. Jesus said that he didn't come for the healthy, but he came for the sick. If God has brought you here, and you're all sitting here, so God has brought you here, it's not because you're great. We are all sin-sick beggars needing the help from the Lord. So it's okay to show those wounds. It's okay to show weakness. More than that, it just brings more glory to God when people see the light shining through the cracks. You might want to chat with someone after. And although I can see you all desperately trying not to acknowledge the person that you're sitting beside you right now, maybe just pause after the service. Chat with someone in your pews. Ask them to pray for you. Of course, your elders are always available and and you can come and speak to me or to Christoph at any point as well. But we have to understand that suffering is normal. It's something that we all walk through. So why don't we hold hands together and sing songs of joy as we walk through that valley? It starts by lamenting. But praise the Lord, our reading doesn't end there. Look with me to verse 7. Now, what we get here are a series of of questions that he's asking himself as he goes through this suffering. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? We're not good at asking those questions, are we? We have a bit of stubbornness in us as Northern Irish people that just makes us put our heads down and get on with things until it's too late. We don't voice our doubts or concerns or pain and suffering. We just keep living in it until we burn out and leave church. We let things fester. We put on a facade so that people don't see our in, that our insides are rotting and our pride keeps us from saying anything until the whole thing just falls down. It's almost like we don't allow ourselves the time to to reflect and to consider. We imagine if, the, if we don't look at the prowling lion, he'll just go away. When in reality, he sneaks closer and closer, just waiting to devour us. But what the psalmist does is show us here a different way. Do you see how he reflects here? These are all rhetorical questions because he knows the answer. Will the Lord reject forever? No. But he asks the question, he acknowledges his situation, and he attempts to bring what he knows to bear. We're not going to spend long on reflecting here, but I wonder if if you give yourself the space and the time to ever do this, to consider where you are in life and what God has said and bring them together. It's a healthy thing to do, and if you are suffering, then just please don't leave that until things fall apart. Because what we see with the psalmist is that when he asks these questions, he he brings what he knows to be true about God into the situation. And somehow he is able to rejoice even in the midst of suffering. Look with me to verse 10. Then I thought, so hear that transition. To this I will appeal. 
the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. So that's biblical language for when the Lord was actively felt in his life. So he's appealing to those times before to comfort him. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. And now we get this shift from I statements to, to you statements. I will consider all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Okay, so in case we miss it there, what we get is a, is a sort of a compounding of reflection on what God has done. In verse 11, the remember, remember, consider, and meditate, they're four distinct Hebrew words that work to intensify what he is doing. How he is looking back and applying what he knows of God from the past to his present situation. And so he considers God's deeds, his miracles and his mighty deeds, the story of how God has delivered his people through entering into the fight for them and bringing them through supernatural intervention. And what it seems to be like he's doing here is just simply reminding himself that God is able to deal with this situation. That God is powerful enough to overcome whatever situation is battling against his people. Maybe some of us are in a situation where we feel like there's just no way out. That we are in a hole so deep that, that, that no one can help. Or maybe we're in a place in our faith journey where we still think that, that God helps those who help themselves and, and we really shouldn't bother him with our little problems. E either way, we seem to think that God's strength just doesn't apply to us. And yet, it is precisely remembering that the Lord has done in the past that can give us encouragement to see that he is able to bring joy, even in the darkest of times. We can see that no hole is too deep for him. We can remind ourselves that he does care about our lives and he does enter into them. And it's amazing how encouraging it could be to hear by people in your situation share of how God has moved in their lives. And so if we are a hospital for sick sinners, if, if we are a church here to build one another up, then we need to be comfortable talking about how, what God has done in our lives. We need to know that, there aren't, that they aren't the only ones going through something and give people hope that God has already overcome their situation. So share stories and tea and coffee afterwards, go and share stories. But for your own good as well, when you're feeling the pinch, remind yourself of all that God has done for you in the past. Remind yourself that no matter how it feels right now, God is able. God is able to rescue. Do we really think that our, our problem is too big for the one who flung the stars into space? too complicated for the one who knit us together in our mother's womb, too unseemly for the one who exchanged heaven's throne for a cross. Remind yourself, Christian, however you can do that, when things look dark, remind yourself that he is able to bring light to the darkest of places. But we don't just stop there. Rather than just think about what the Lord can do, the psalmist talks about who God is. Look at verse 13. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? 
And so we get this headline about an attribute of God that, that he is holy. And then we get seven verses just describing the Exodus, the great rescue of God's people that culminates in him revealing his name and covenanting with them to be their God. In thinking about what the Lord has done in his life, the psalmist is drawn to think about how God is, is holy, about how he is faithful to his covenant, how he enters the fight, how he intercedes for his people, and ultimately, how he saves. Look at verse 16, that the waters here writhed, the depths were convulsed, the clouds poured down water, there's this great storm, a whirlwind, the earth trembles. This is a picture of chaos, of danger. So we're talking about the Exodus but from Egypt, but perhaps something more as well as we get this picture of destructive power arrayed against God's people. Now, if you've ever been in a really big storm, you, you'll know that it can make you feel pretty helpless. Like there's no escape and you just want to curl up and, and, and hope that it passes because there's, there's just nothing you can do. Your world is being controlled by the storm that batters against you. And that image is sort of like how sin affects us. It, it batters us and pushes us and forces us to curl up. It makes us act in ways that we don't want to. It, it makes us vulnerable to attack. It molds our lives and consumes our vision and makes us feel powerless. Whether that's addiction or desire or pride or a host of other things, sin traps us and makes us despair. But in all this chaos, verse 19 says, your path led through the sea your way through the mighty waters. It's as if this path of peace that cuts through the surrounding chaos, a ray of light that burns through the clouds, and suddenly the imagery is less primordial battle and, and more Psalm 23, as we are led like sheep out of the valley and into still waters. There's a reason that we find the words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, so comforting. It's because it reminds us of who the Lord is. He's not some fickle human to change his mind or let circumstances dictate his, his actions. He, he, he does not care for us one day and then just leave us the next. No, the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And so he has called you his child. He has said that he will never leave you or forsake you. And so his care for you is unshakable. He is faithful through the storm. When Christ lifted his head for the beating, when he accepted the crown of thorns, when he trudged up Calvary's hill, when he took the nails, when he was lifted up and with every ragged breath, he drained away the just wrath at all our sins. He took the punishment. And in death, he removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. In rising, he ascended and sent us the Spirit who applied all that to us, who dwells with us, who unites us to Christ, and who will welcome us into glory. If you confess Christ as Lord, then that is what has happened. That is the reality of your situation. 
We have an inheritance, a promise of God with us now, and a hope of glory to come that will not change. And so what the psalmist does is to remember how God has brought about redemption. Not about whatever prison he feels like he's in, but the freedom that the Lord has promised. He remembers the the greater enemies that the Lord has left in his wake, and crucially, he remembers where he is heading. The way that we can rejoice in our sufferings is by allowing the reality of what God has done and the certainty of who he is shape our vision. Paul says in Philippians, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In Romans he says that we can rejoice in sufferings because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. James says that preserving through suffering is a a mark of the crown of life that the Lord has promised. Peter says that participating in the suffering of Christ prepares us to participate in the glory of Christ. It is in knowing Christ and all that he has done that we can rejoice, that we can look at our situation and ask, where is your sting? It might appear terrible now, But in the light of eternity, when we all gather together to reminisce in the holy city, it will be a distant memory, just a vague impression. And it is holding on to that and knowing that that is certain that enables us to rejoice. Family, we might be looking back on this year and thinking that it has been the worst year of our lives. We might be suffering through things that we never thought we could bear. But in times like these, we need to look back further, to cast our minds beyond our present situation and to look to a hill just outside of Jerusalem, to a cross where victory has already been won. And so no matter how we are feeling, we want to be able to rejoice that we have his grace. And that is something that cannot be taken from us. 